Welcome to Everyday Elephants, where we talk about the big things in the room. Today's episode will be a little different. Phil had the opportunity to speak with Pastor Scott Yunt, a pastor serving in Ukraine. It's an eye-opening conversation. Phil, you got to speak with Scott. What do you hope the listeners take away from this conversation? Yeah, thanks, Tanner. I just really hope that you can put yourself in Scott's shoes as a Ukrainian man, pastor, a husband, someone who is just caring for refugees, uh, people in Ukraine right now, and hear his story. It also led me to a point of repentance because I'm thinking so much about my own context, how this war is affecting me. Hmm. But I quickly changed my uh, perspective after having this conversation with Scott. Awesome. Uh, Well, the three of us will talk more about the conversation uh, following the interview. So let's not waste any more time. Here is a conversation with Pastor Scott Yunt. Hey, Scott, it's good to see you, man. It's been a really long time. I think the last time we connected was seminary. And the first thing I remember was you and I playing intramural basketball together. Except we were like the two big guys. And you were the guy that hustled more and i remember you boxing me out like i don't know you were like a man and i was like a boy i just remember playing countless games and running up and down the court you were a beast dude oh well you know i tend to get competitive so i you know i might have been the guy trying too hard but at least like uh you know spinagle was there and i just knew like okay i'm not trying as much as that guy but yeah exactly i try to hustle (laughs) i know and i'm a competitive person but i think you (laughs) typically outmatched me and, you know, it just made me work harder. But hey, it's good to see you. Really been feeling for you as a pastor, as a husband, as a leader serving over in Ukraine. And now you're in a different context right now as you guys have fleed the country and and bringing in refugees. But love to hear a little bit more about you. Before this, you were, I think you were living in Iowa, right? Yeah. And, and then brought you to be a pastor and a missionary in Ukraine. So tell us how you got there and the story behind that. Yeah, I uh, grew up in California, was going to university, and I kind of say that I went to Ukraine because someone stole my truck. And I was at university, my turn to drive our, uh, you know, our guys from our apartment to uh, campus that day. And I remember thinking I knew where I parked, but spent like 20 minutes looking for my truck, only to realize someone had taken it. We filed the report as, you know, they never found it. Month went by. Finally, dad said, well, I'll fly you home and we'll look for something to replace it. And just happened that that Sunday, went to church with my family and this missionary was speaking about Ukraine. And they were having a camp for children with special needs. Our church was wanting to send a team. And, you know, I just kind of thought, you know what? I'm graduating. You know, why not me? I I should have summer free. And then signed up and realized like, well, my summer is only free if I pass all those like entrance exams into seminary. So then I was all stressed, um, but just kind of say, God, I just pray you'll work all that out. So I'm able to go and, and be a part of that. And that's really how I first got involved uh, with ministry in Ukraine and just being at a camp with these kids with special needs. And I think I just loved it because the camp was like seven days and we were with them, you know, in the same dorm, we were having breakfast, lunch, dinner together, doing the worship songs, Bible studies, just with them all the time. And I think just 
in that week, we just were able to just have such a relationship with them and share God's love with them. And it's just, I just knew that it was something I wanted to continue to be a part of and continue coming back to. I love that. Not only did you decide to move your life to Ukraine at one point, but you're working with people, special needs, men, women, children who are made in the image of God. And yet, you know, you go across seas and you are making sure that they know that they are loved. Man, I was mentioning that to you before, but my dad serves with men and women and children with special needs. So that touches my heart greatly, man. And so love that you're doing that. But before all this chaos that's happening right now in Ukraine, what was life like in Ukraine prior to that for you, your wife? Just share a little bit more about that. Yeah, so, you know, I kind of say that really, I mean, the, the war began in, in 2014. And that's when the first, you know, in the east of Ukraine and, and taking Crimea. And I think even at that point, almost a, a million people fled the east of Ukraine to elsewhere. And uh, so my wife was one of those refugees. So, you know, I think the the way it worked out was I went for a month in 2013 and came home, talked with my senior pastor at the church and announced to the church that I'd be going full time as a missionary to Ukraine. And I think maybe like a week after I announced that is when the protest started and the revolution happened. And then, you know, all of a sudden these soldiers were coming in and taking over these areas and this fighting happened and um so it kind of really quick went from me saying oh i'm going to be a missionary in ukraine and people are like oh where's that is that russia or is that you know to yeah ukraine are you crazy why would you go there and so kind of that whole time i've been there there's you know i think people have had a little bit at uh, you know that just tension in their heart because they know the war is going on in the east that they had family members there So from the time I kind of arrived there full time, you know, there was already, I think, such a more community sense of we are Ukrainians and identity. We are Ukrainians um, because of Russia's decision to invade. And so people tended to be more, you know, patriotic, proud of their country and also just hurting. I, I think maybe people didn't realize that, you know, when that happened in 2014, their money, I mean, just collapsed almost. It was, you know, eight Ukrainian dollars was one American dollar. And it went to almost like 35 Ukrainian dollars was one American dollar. And you can just imagine, you know, the prices of everything is generally based on the dollar, the euro, it's stuff imported. And so prices for items just like skyrocketed almost four times higher, the price of your medicine or, or certain food items. And so you know, it just was hard. This last eight years for so many families I know, especially because they're families with children with special needs, a lot of them rely on a pension or the money from the government uh, to, to help support their family. And, you know, what was maybe a pension of $200 a month was now only $50 a month. And, you know, as I meet with elderly people that are shut in and, you know, they're the cost of their you know, adult diapers uh, or $40 a month and they only get $50 a month. And you just see there's just so many situations where there's just a need for help um, that they needed charities and churches to, to step up and help. And really just seeing that throughout the whole seven and a half years that I had been there before the invasion started. So it's just, it's been so hard. People of Ukraine over that time, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing 
how forgetful we are of the things that have happened in the past. And right now we're focused on this big invasion that's happening, but there's been tension for such a long time. I'm hearing you say, man, inflation has been out of whack for a long period of time. And right now, us in America, we're complaining about the recent gas hikes that are happening. But yet, the people in Ukraine have been suffering and enduring through a long time besides just the past couple weeks or so. Yeah. Wow. So with that being said, and and knowing that there are deep roots that have happened, and I didn't even know that your wife was a refugee that flew from the actual conflict, which is, she's got to be resilient. But walk us through the past couple of weeks. What has that been like for you, family? What have you experienced? What stories come to mind when experiencing this all? Like personally, you know, almost uh, two months ago, you know, all of a sudden the, the troops began to build up on the borders and the news media began to, to really report on it. And it was just, you know, for me, the exact same thing happened the year before and the media just kind of ignored it. And the, the troops all built up and then they kind of went away. And then all of a sudden they started to build up again. And, you know, the State Department saying, oh, Russia's going to invade and, and getting all these warnings and all these messages for people. Are you scared? Are you scared? And at the same time, the Ukrainians are just kind of just living their lives. And the mission partner that I'm with, uh, the, my mission sending agency, the director, Pastor David Breidenbach, you know, probably two months ago said, hey, do you, you know, have a plan, like an exit plan or told me, uh, you know, a lot of the other missionary agencies are sending their missionaries home on like strategic vacations. And, you know, the Mormon church sent all their missionaries home. And yeah. I was just, you know, in my heart, I'm like, you know, I want to be here and, and I want to be with my people. And when I got here in the start in 2014, there was heavy fighting going on in the East and goes back to that. And I'm fine. Uh, you know, we'll, we're here in the center of Ukraine. I think unless Russia decides to go for a full out invasion, I'm staying and then, of course, yeah. Russia decided to go for full-out invasion. And, you know, so, I mean, this the warnings have been happening so long. Yeah, I woke up Thursday morning, and it was maybe 4 in the morning, and you could just hear loud explosions. And, you know, I, I'm just like, oh, man, it's happening. And, you know, almost like that disbelief, and you just kind of get a, almost that instant feeling of uh, just you're queasy. You just feel, like, in your stomach, nauseous. And I just, uh, you know, as you hear those blasts thinking, all right, well, we had a plan. We had our suitcases uh, already packed, but we were just grabbing some other things. I had gas canisters in the garage for extra fuel and just started, you know, loading, getting ready to load stuff up. And I just remember we had a plan to, we're going to leave our dog, uh, Lena's parents, they're going to stay. So they would come and take him and take care of him. We were just going to go. You know, I said, I got to take him out to use the restroom and, and potty before we go. And I just remember opening the door to step outside. And, you know, it was like 4.30 in the morning, but it was just unnaturally bright out, wow. you know, in the sky. Wow. And I just kind of like got one step out the door. And it's just the loudest thing I think I've ever heard, just this explosion. And, uh, you know, it just rattled the windows, like every car alarm's going off. And it was just like, okay, shut the door. I'm back inside. You're just kind of like, man, I, I like I need to load up the car. I got this stuff. You're like he needs to go to the potty, quiet for a little bit. You're just kind of like you almost like had to pump yourself up to go out. And I just remember like going out with him and just being standing in our little grass and being like, go fast, man, go fast. Like don't right. <laughs> like don't take 30 right. minutes trying to do this. And uh, you know, just 
packing up the car. And I think after that, there was just one more, you know, really loud explosion, but we had packed everything up and, you know, I could still kind of just remember that look on my dog's face, like, like he's kind of scared and like, where are you going? And, you know, just having to leave him and just, uh, he's okay. He's with my parents. Um, but so we took off and we started and already on our way out of town. I mean, the lines were like 50 cars long for the gas station. Uh, people was trying to fill up and, uh, just the whole time it was about a 12 hour drive to get to the border. Um, and just the whole time I just remember every gas station you saw, uh, in the beginning of the day, 100 car lines of people trying to fill up. And, you know, I was able to fill up mine with just canisters that I had in the back. But then as the day went on in the afternoon, it was like, oh, the gas station has no lines. Well, that's because it's all out of gas. And then we, we got to the border. We waited 15 hours uh, in line just, uh, you know, throughout the whole night, just like every minute we might move like 15 feet and just... Uh, once we got through after that 15 hours and through, it was about another two and a half hour drive into Slovakia to this camp where I was staying. Had never met this pastor here, never met them. It was a connection through the mission sending agency. And, and they're like, yeah, you can stay here. And, and that kind of turned into, hey, would you help us? We have other refugees that want to come here. We don't speak English. We don't speak Ukrainian. You guys do. Can you help us? For me, like the personal experience of it, and that was like one morning and like it was scary enough. And and so many people who now who've come, you know, stayed for 10 days, stayed for 12 days and just getting to hear their experiences. You know, I've been able to get some of our kids with special needs here to this building and it's just been heartbreaking. We have a, a young mom with cerebral palsy. She walks on crutches and like her husband was telling me like, so the sirens would go off. Uh, we'd go down into the basement, like into their little cellar. Um, and the stairs, you know, like are like this going down. And she's trying to go down them, you know, with her crutches. And her husband's like trying to help her. And they're doing this with their three-year-old daughter four or five times a day. They're having to do this. Which people are not going to be able to see you do this angle right here. But that, that seems pretty steep. It's not a 90-degree angle drop off, but it's... It's pretty close to it, the way that you're describing yeah. that. They began shutting down the elevators in all the apartments because of when bombings happen, not wanting people stuck in the elevator. But so many people I know, Sergey, friend of mine, he's in a wheelchair. He's the, the best man at my wedding. He lives on the seventh floor. And so when those sirens would go off, his mom would have to help him down seven flights of stairs. And they'd go over to a neighbor's house that was you know on the first floor and they would stay there until the sirens went away or the bombing stopped. And then she'd have to get them up seven flights of stairs. And so it just kind of almost to a point where I feel like they become numb to it. The, the sirens going off and it's like, you know, hey, I've done that six times now, seven times now. Do I really want to do it again? Like, is it worth it? And I just see that as I'm talking to them, that stress just build on them over time. And when their faces, when they get here, you know, it's just unbelievable. You know, on top of all that stress, now they took a 25-hour journey, you know, and sitting in three-hour lines, four-hour lines to walk across the border in the freezing cold. They get here, and you just see, I mean, it's like shell shock. And sometimes it takes just the two or three nights of just 
sleep where it's not scary for it's like they can just think again and and feel kind of normal you know as a refugee then they're like well but now i gotta decide what how do i live i'm in europe i'm i mean i'm over outside of ukraine like how am i gonna afford to live here all those kind of things are just coming to their heads and it's just like i think just for some of them it's just you know it seems like a hill like how can i ever climb it unbelievable and again, just addressing the people and the refugees that you're working with, war, you know, affects so many different things, it affects especially families being separated. But then I'm thinking of the people who you're serving with special needs, even the elderly, it, it almost seems like it affects them even more because there's just so much dependence and so much help that they need. And so not only are you helping with refugees, but you're helping people that need so much attention and so much time. How are you doing? You guys got to be tired. How are you feeling? I mean, it's been exhausting just because it's like we have the superpower of getting people to the border at like three in the morning or two in the morning. So, uh, you know, it's just a lot of nights of just either worrying about somebody crossing or we being there and late at night trying to, to get someone across and then get them here and settled in and you know maybe having to carry wheelchairs upstairs or, or whatever you know so it's tiring and i think especially the first few days i mean it's also just all you can do you know to just you got to stop yourself from wanting to check your phone check what's going on you know just with the today's you know 24-hour media updates on all the things going on in the war you just get lost in it but then just always being on the phone with our family, our friends back in Bilatsurkva and try and just help them at least know like, hey, you know, here are some options. Like you can go here, you can cross at this border. You won't have to wait 15 hours at this crossing point. We can get you a van and pick you up from there and get you here. We can find a transport from you from a church from Bilatsurkva to the border. We get you at the border and just kind of almost like you're trying to coordinate people and just encourage them like, hey, you're not abandoning your country to to want to get out right now. Guys like that who are in a wheelchair are just like, no, I can't leave. I just be abandoning my country. Um, and it's like, no, man. I mean, like, it's not. You're not like, um, you can't go join the army right now. You can't. You know, you can come here and you can be helping people from Slovakia or or from wherever. And yeah. uh, you know, and so just so much of that, just trying to give people information, pray with them, help them, you know, have wisdom on what they should do. And then just seeing them go through that process. And just on kind of what you said, I think in America, we we see the pictures or see that, but it is hard to just imagine, you know, those extreme circumstances, whether it's people with special needs. Tomorrow we have someone we're trying to get here on a bus in chemotherapy and trying to like make that family decision. She's a, a young mom in her thirties. She's on chemo. And she was like, all right, chemo's on the 9th of March. Do I try to leave early March and go to country and just hope that, like, I get there and the doctors will immediately continue my chemotherapy? Or uh, are they going to be like, no, we got to run tests first, and and then I miss my treatment? And, like, will I be able to get medicine? Will I be able to? And Or do I wait? She's getting chemotherapy yesterday, and, okay, I'm going to be on the road tomorrow. And you just imagine like having to make that. She's wiped if she's done the chemotherapy and she's trying to yeah. flee no. a country. That's that's insane. 
So I'm so thankful that we just found uh, the pastor here at this, uh, it's a a youth center, knew a doctor in Prague that said, yeah, we'll, we'll find a way, we'll find you housing, we'll treat you. The doctor's like, you can live with my family and like your treatment will be completely covered. And then trying to just also encourage her like, yes, you can wait. If you wait till after your chemo, like we'll still have a place for you. And so just praising the Lord that there's an opportunity for her to leave but just also like the prayers that I just can't imagine what that trip's going to be like for her, you know, in that, in that situation to leave with her two kids, a family friend, cause your husband can't go with you. You know, men 18 to 60 can't leave the country. So it's like those things you just hardly imagine when you talk about war, you just don't think about how it affects, you know, until a maternity war gets bombed. You don't even think about what's it like for a, a pregnant mom uh, during times of war. So yeah, I just saw that yesterday, and I'm in just disbelief. Read another report that there's actually, with the humanitarian places for them to exit, there's still landmines around there. Like, this is dark. But to hear that kind of story where people in other countries are caring for refugees, caring for you all, finding doctors, because it affects so many different people, and everyone has a story. That's, that's so much, man. Getting back to your wife, you mentioned that she had to flee as a refugee in 2014 yeah. and now she's fleeing again. How's she doing? What's her thoughts? Have you been able to process these things with her? I try. I mean, I try to ask her, Hey, how are you doing? And yeah, you know, I think she just says, sometimes I just need to cry. I just need some time to, and you know, just so struggling with that of, you know, how is this evil allowed to be? How can things this bad happen? You know, she's been amazing. I mean, she is, you know, because she speaks Ukrainian, she speaks English, you know, uh, the Slovakians are are really relying on her to communicate to all the refugees here. And, you know, I just know that, I mean, she feels so good that she's able to make a difference and help. But at the same time, like, she's worried for her family that couldn't leave. She's in disbelief that, you know, this is happening again. And it's, hey, you're taking what you can fit in a bag and going um, and leaving a house behind again. So, I mean, I just, I know it's hard on her and it's just, uh, it's tough. And just all you can do is kind of just pray for strength and, and just, I mean, I think every night we're just praying that this would end and, and that there would be uh, peace and, you know, that just God would keep finding a way to help us make a difference until that, that happens. Could not imagine how she's feeling um tell her that we're praying for her too and uh that's 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 so much i had a chance to go to germany um while i was in iowa uh, as a pastor did wittenberg it was cool but also went to berlin and they had a a world war ii museum they have uh, this exhibit where they built uneven piece of ground just you know kind of a, a slight angle they built these 45 giant pillars and you can like walk in between the pillars but because the ground's uneven you just like almost like falling over trying to walk between them and it just makes your stomach feel queasy and there was a monument for refugees the feeling that they have when they're leaving everything leaving their country and just going and the unknown they're like that's what they were trying to capture i just now have that understanding so much more of like what it feels like to just 
not know and just you know for my wife that it's the second time i mean i feel like the whole car ride she had that feeling in her stomach and we needed to pull over because she just you know needed to throw up and like knowing that's how so many people are feeling and and like i know that i have safety blankets i know i have family that cares for me i know i have a place to go but there's so many that don't and you know that's really right now kind of what our focus is, is especially like, how do we help those? You know, it's one thing to help people come here, have that night, get their thoughts cleared and now think, okay, well, I can go to family here or I can go here. But those that literally have nowhere to go, how do you help them? Wow. So you guys are trying to figure that out, how to help others. And immediately what comes to mind for me, being a Christian, being a part of a local churches, connected with other brothers and sisters around the world, there's got to be an action, actionable response from us. I would love to be able to hear how we can help, where we can provide resources, money to be able to help um, the work that you're doing, because I think it's just so important, especially where I'm sensing there's a lot of hope that is gone from people. How can we restore help? How can we help um, what can we do? Because I know there's many people out there that want to be able to make an impact. Everyone's hearts are for the people in Ukraine, the refugees, all the work that's happening. You know, there's multiple fronts on this, like where the church can come in and, and help is needed. And like each has its own challenges. You know, people still in Ukraine need food, like in Bielitserkva, my hometown, like there's definitely times where it's like, there's nothing on the shelves in the stores. You know, people need to get their medicine. We have uh, a diabetic who got here um, two nights ago and was like, I don't know where to get insulin from. Uh, we had the the person that needed their medicine for the for the chemotherapy is like, I, how do I get that to me right now? So I mean, like trying to get money to churches. Um, I know a lot of uh, pastors right now. Again, men and and members of their churches that are just taking vans and driving people, trying to get them to the border. And then if they can find aid, like take it back to their city. And then they just, I mean, they're just totally living on the road because I'm here. And like, I like could just cross and walk across back into Ukraine and literally just give them money um, and, and come back across and like, didn't have to, you know, cause it's hard to even sometimes get cash in through a bank or get them money so they can get gas and get supplies and help people. So there's like that huge need of the humanitarian aspect. And, you know, people can give whatever's Red Cross or or through the Are Ukraine Really Fun? We are able to get some money to these churches, getting money to people in the country. That's a huge part of this um, battle. But then you have also like those fleeing with nothing that need a place to live, need clothes. Like that's another huge front. There's like that immediate need where you know they need to now find how do i get medicine that i need how do i get ready to get my prescription filled in this foreign country and uh and then like the third aspect is the war that's coming is we don't know what's going to happen in ukraine we don't know right. how long this will right. or if there if it's going to be a permanent yeah how do i as a guy in a wheelchair now living in europe or in whether it's slovakia or germany how do i make a living and afford you know, housing that's five times more expensive than it is in Ukraine. When I don't speak any languages outside of Ukrainian or maybe Russian, it's great that people have that huge hearts to help with that immediate need that someone needs a coat, someone needs food. But I know in like three months, 
somebody's still going to be struggling to like even just afford housing and so like for us like there's that wisdom do we spend every dollar now or do we also like hey we got to be wise like we have no idea how long this is going to go and and what the needs are going to be for the people here in a month um that's not like an easy answer to say this is the easiest way to help right now i know people like are all around surrounding Ukraine wanting to help and give money. And it's sometimes you just, you almost have to be creative. How do you get money in? How do you find out? Um, because of all those limitations and with problems with banking problems with who can go in, who can't go in. Um, wow. So much. And there's still so much unknown and sure this is happening in Ukraine, but no one knows what's going to be happening for the rest of the world with what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the immediate needs of trying to figure out how, how do people are going to find jobs and, you know, they, they can't speak the language. How are they going to afford homes? It's, that's just a lot. So I'm definitely not hearing it's all about the money. Um, and then I get that. And there's, there's so much more to that. But what, what are those links that people, if they want to give, um, what, what are the best areas to support you and your ministry or local churches in Ukraine? Could you just give us some of those websites? And we'll provide those in the show notes as well. The Spiritual Orphans Network, the mission partner that I've been with and uh, kind of the, the sending agency that, that I work with, and, and they've started a, a Ukraine relief fund. And that's what we've been able to, to use to get money to, to the pastors and churches we know and also helping out here with the refugees that are here and, and finding out, um, you know, trying to just figure out where's the best place for them to be and help them get there. And uh, I know God's Hidden Treasures, that's the website's godshiddentreasures.org. I, I used to work with them. They're the ones I started my ministry with in Ukraine with camps. You know, they had 17 staff members that were Ukrainian mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of the women are now out of the country, but I know some of the men are, and, and they're working hard to try to, again, get vans, drive people, get them out. A lot of times it's their van that's bringing people to the border and we're picking them up and bringing them to Slovakia. I know they're doing great things on the ground. I mean, those are just the ones I personally know what they're doing. Of course, Red Cross is giving lots of stuff. Of course, uh, I'm sure there's, you know, many Christian organizations that are, are doing good things too. Um, it's just those, those are the two that because I'm working so much with them that that I know that it's going to to helping kind of in all those fronts. It's it's helping people with the humanitarian needs in Ukraine, helping with the refugees, and then also helping with trying to plan their futures and and get them, you know, in situations where um, they're going to get over this hill. And uh, you know, of course, we hope this will end and they'll get to go home to Ukraine. But, you know, there's just no, no one knows. Scott, thank you for all that you're doing right now. I'm sure it doesn't feel like it's enough, but the way that you are loving on all the refugees coming in, especially with so many different medical needs, disabilities, how you are serving your wife, who is probably going through a traumatic experience once again. Um, you being a person who decided to go overseas and just to be a missionary and uh, to be able to take uh, a call to be out there. I'm extremely grateful for you. I know so many others are. I'm praying for you. I pray for safety and, 
and just God to show up in so many different areas for what you're doing. And, and I just pray that uh, uh, for your people. Thank you. Thank you so much for just sharing some of these stories. Sometimes we just don't know. Yeah, and if I just add just the one more thing, like, of course, like the most important front and like, you know, I just right now so overwhelmed with the physical needs of people is just knowing that the gospel need of people that need to hear Christ's love who, you know, who do feel abandoned by the world totally. to know, hey, you're not alone. God is with you. And, uh, you know, and those who come here to this youth center and been staying with us, whether they're going to be here a week or two weeks or a month, it's just starting that process, too, of just, you know, God trying to heal their heart of what they've been through and praying with people and trying to do some worship songs with the kids and, and bring a little joy into their life. Sometimes, you know, kind of over overwhelmed with those things that the, the physical needs, they forget that there's right. this huge scar in their heart and and that you know only god can can heal that and and how much uh you know ukraine needed christ so bad before this uh invasion happened and, and now i mean they just you know i think they just are waiting and and need to hear about christ and and that he's with them and so there's just so many opportunities now too to pray and and, and share the gospel and just try to bring that hope uh into their life yeah thanks for that reminder that is the most important thing and praying as you are revealing the gospel uh, to so many people and sharing stories and walking alongside people that there's a stirring of people's hearts, uh, their faith um, in Jesus. So thank you for that. I'm definitely going to be following you over probably for a while now, just seeing what you're doing. Thankful for what you're doing. Please, please know that we love you, man. We're just, we're so sorry. Appreciate it. I mean, I have appreciated all the prayers and just, yeah, again, so many uh, friends from seminary, you know, it's hard to keep up with everyone. And, and you know, at times it's heartbreaks that I haven't seen so many of you because I, I have been, you know, living in Ukraine and it's not, you know, easy to get to a, uh, like a pastor's conference or something, but uh, yeah. just uh, so many having just kind of reached out and, and wanting to help and support in this time, you know, that really means a lot to me and to Lena and, I think the one thing that's really carrying my wife right now is just how caring and kind these people here in Slovakia have been um, to her, to us. Like, I know they have ministries that have been on their heart, ministries to youth, to, to a lot of the Romanian people that live here. Of course, my whole world right now and hers is like Ukraine and, and wanting to help, you know, the people we've lived with. But for them to say, hey, all right, this youth center is yours, guys. Like, how's who you need? and just trying to get people here and, and the staff working so hard to feed people. Like, I, I think that's really kind of one of the things that's, that's carrying her. Wow. That, that's, that's amazing. Well, be praying for you and Lena. Um, thanks so much for sharing these stories. Super helpful for me. And I know many others and uh, we love you, man. We're praying for you. So Phil, as you talked to Scott, who, we both went to seminary with, but you, I think you guys lived on the dorm together and you've been talking with him quite a bit lately. What, what was your biggest takeaway from getting to talk with him? It really hit me at one point when he was sharing with me that some of the refugees that were coming into Slovakia, that they also had more needs beyond just escaping to safety. I'm a type one diabetic. And so when I heard someone trying to figure out how am I going to get my insulin, 
How am I going to be able to survive through that? That's something that I don't have to worry about right now. And then it went to a deeper place when the, the woman who's traveling over right now as we speak to get her chemo therapy to happen, but then also she's going to cross the border and not know how she's going to get her next chemo. That, that just, that killed me. And who am I? That was, that was my thought right there. Yeah. The, it was startling to kind of hear, I mean, like you were saying, but that, you know, the things that we take for granted, food, medicine, all, all the things that are just, you know, at hand. Like right now, it's, it's the season of Lent, and I have given up some foods during this season, and these people don't even have food, and it's, it's heartbreaking. Like you said at the beginning, Phil, like it kind of led you to a place of repentance. Because um, I think when we talk about what's happening in the world, we try to put ourselves into it or see how it affects us. And this is one of those things where I just need to sit and listen um, to the stories of the people and what they're going through. As y'all talked, Phil, you mentioned, you know, some of the um, atrocities going on too. And, and the fact that Russian forces are mining the escape corridors. You know, that they've set up these humanitarian corridors and then they're mining them. You know, and that to me was like, this is a new level of evil being perpetrated. Um, There's a difference between what might be collateral damage in a fight and intentionally attacking civilians. And for me, it was when Scott, towards, towards the beginning of the interview, when he talked about them leaving... And he said, I stepped out my back door to let the dog go to the bathroom one more time. And, you know, there's this huge explosion. I mean, when when was the last time at anywhere in your thought process where you thought, I'm going to step outside and there's going to be not uh, an industrial accident, but enemy fire raining down within not only the distance of hearing it, but that you could feel that shockwave. Never. I thought I was living in a crisis when I was living in Florida, escaping a hurricane where I was doing the same thing. 12 hour drive, the gas station pumps were, there was lines, but never did I think, wow, I might be uh, shelled. I might be, you know, this could probably be my last moment with my family because we just don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Never did I have that type of scenario or situation that has happened in my life. It's insane. This stuff is just so dark. And there's there's so many different like things to, to think about and focus on. Like, you know, we touched on like medicine and food and stuff. Um, but as he was talking about leaving his dog, and I'm not I'm not making a joke right now, but like that got me. Like we we don't we don't have kids, but we have a dog. And I can't imagine what it's like to leave behind something that you love and something that that loves you. And now he, he explained, you know, the, the dog went to go live with his family, which I wish he kind of would, would have led with that because I was pretty nervous for that for a little bit. But it's just, it's extremely heartbreaking when your whole life, the smallest things, the biggest things just get uprooted and changed. And you are just left and you're put into survival mode, absolute survival mode. And like, you know, not to, not to, you know, I've, I've had to outrun hurricanes and tornadoes and all those things as well. Now that's also danger to be taken seriously. This just feels like 300 levels after that. It's just every 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 facet of it is heartbreaking and intense. I can't imagine. 
when he shared the refugees making it, I think he's in a church in Slovakia, Phil. Is that where he is now? Some Yeah, youth he's center like at something. a youth center. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he's at a youth center. And, you know, and when he said people needed at least three nights of sleep to just feel normal again. I mean, there's there's something that that intensity does to your system. But then when you throw in there a lack of sleep, you know, things not being safe. I can't imagine that level of being like, yeah, we haven't slept. You know, I haven't slept because I wake up and I, you know, run through that stupid thing I said in eighth grade. I couldn't imagine I can't sleep because I'm watching my kids because I don't know where the next shells are going to fall, you know? And then thinking about his wife who had to flee Crimea. in 2014 yeah. from Crimea, who was a refugee, lost everything, her and her family, to all of a sudden it's 2022 and she's doing this all over again. Talk about a traumatic experience and she's doing this again. Could you imagine well, and the the fascinating thing that hit me as he talked about those things was, Phil, when you asked, you know, as the war started, and immediately he said, well, it started in 2014. Mm-hmm. So yep. these are people that, for us, this, this conflict started, you know, two, three weeks ago. For them, they've been living under some of this in one form or another for you know, almost 10 years now. And, and we're just so concerned about how this is affecting us, gas prices. Now, nuclear weapons is a big deal. Yeah. I, I know there's there's a lot of fear and with that, but I don't have to think about that. I, I don't experience that. And mm-hmm. yet we're talking about this is what's happened the past two weeks. Well, this has been happening for a while. Yeah. And there's and there's something about, you know, it's it's also hard to sit and watch what's happening to other people. Right. It, it's hard to be in a place where and we'll talk about ways in which we can help. And, and Scott talked a lot about this at the end of the podcast, at the end of the interview. But it's also hard to like not be able to be there. But like as we're talking about all of this, I, I keep thinking about the the Beatitudes. Right. Like blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and um, blessed are those who are pure, pure in heart and they will see God, peacemakers, you know, all the Beatitudes. And I just keep coming back to like this is all heavy, but there's still hope. And I think that really came through in the conversation with Scott. Like, I mean, he's, cause he's in it. He's seeing this firsthand, but he, you know, the thing that he said towards the end was these people still need to hear the hope of the gospel. Or as I listened to the interview before this, what an incredible thing that the church is doing over there right now heard it from some folks in my church, um, you know, I've heard it from different places uh, on news sources and now from Scott, that the church is just flinging open its doors in Poland and Slovakia in those kinds of places, and they're just saying, well, why? Well, because this is what Jesus would do, you know? And there's Deuteronomy 10 has, love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. And I think there's a lot for us to learn because the European church, this, while this conflict is very new, they have been doing this now for many years as there's been conflict around the Mediterranean and there's been refugees from Syria and from North Africa. And I think that there's a huge lesson for us to learn that even as Phil, as, as I watched this interview that you did with Scott, 
he seemed less defeated than I think I feel like I would be. Yeah, totally. You know, there is a refugee crisis that is happening now. I think what I'm learning and what Scott taught me is to be slow with the other refugee crises that will happen in the future. I know we'll probably have a conversation at one point because it's a hot topic with refugees, with immigrants. Where does that all lay? How do we how do we handle that? But when you when you hear these stories and you see the injustice that are happening to these people, there's got to be a moment where we get past all the politics, all the well, if this would have been this way or whatever it might be, we need to start just looking at our own hearts, my own heart of saying, how, how am I loving these people well? And I need to be slow to speak on these things rather than give my opinion without even just hearing the story. Yeah. There's not, there's not a lot to say, I guess, on that. Um, Phil, you did an excellent job with the interview. Thanks for uh, bringing Scott on. And uh, we are continuing as a podcast and as friends and as believers to pray for the people of Ukraine, to pray for for peace and for unity and um, and really for safety um, and all the all the small things that seem to get overlooked and forgotten. I know that he holds all those things in his hands, and so we continue to cling to the hope that we know. Um, any any final thoughts, guys, before we close this episode out? I'm thankful the Lord has put people like Scott. If you are listening to this today, my encouragement is if you have the means to be able to give, do it. And we're going to provide some links in the show notes of how you can help just the local efforts of what Pastor Yunt and uh, the many Ukrainian churches are doing uh, with the refugee work, all things in Ukraine. Just encourage you just to give towards that. I mean, you could see and hear it in his voice that they don't know where resources are going to come from. Them being in Slovakia, the rent is five times higher than it is in Ukraine. And I know we're in a housing crisis, but imagine going into a foreign land, not speaking the language, not being able to do anything for work and trying to figure out how am I going to get by? Mm -hmm. So I don't have all the answers. I don't think anyone does, but there's got to be a way that we can respond. That's good. Yeah, so check out the show notes uh, at the bottom of this episode. And uh, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Everyday Elephants. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it out around with your friends as well. And we will be back in a few weeks with another episode of Everyday Elephants.